don't know, my name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not exactly sure my job title yet, except I think I'm the pastor that keeps all the other ones in line or maybe on task. Heck, I don't know. We have a great time though, and it has really been awesome over the last year and handful of months that uh, my family and I have been able to be here and be a part of the Creek Church. But uh, before we get started, uh, we have some online viewers. We're go- we want to welcome in our Williamsburg, Bell County, and Somerset campuses. So can we do that this morning? Just a little update on Bell County because that's where I'm serving right now. Um, it's going pretty well. And let me tell you something. Next week, we get to baptize three people. And so, yeah, it's going to be It's going to be awesome. And we're super excited about what God is going to do there because we know just once it clicks and once it hits, um, you're not going to be able to stop it there. And it's just going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to impact and it's going to influence. And that's really what it's about. But we've been in this series um, called God Can't Do Anything. And it's really looking at different aspects of God. And this is week three of that. And so the premise behind the entire series of, of what we're talking about and what we've talked about over the last two parts is this premise right here. God's greatness isn't confined to what he can do. God's greatness also extends to what he can't do. God is great for the things that he can do. And we praise him for that. And he can do all sorts of things. But believe it or not, there are things that God can't do. And that is really good news for us. And he's great for the things that he can't do. And we learned in week one of this series uh, that God can't learn. God knows everything. He's not shocked by anything. He's not surprised. You can't catch him off guard. And this is the great news about that is the one who knows us best also loves us most. And then we learned last week through Pastor Trevor that God can't change his mind. Or can he? Or can't he? I don't know. We're just going to leave it right at that because we're just not going to touch that anymore. But we're going to have this right here. This is where we're headed this morning. God can't lie. Now, lying is something that is familiar to all humanity. It's actually familiar to every single person. You actually don't have to teach somebody to lie. Uh, Parents aren't going to their toddlers going, now, if you lie, you'll get rewarded with X. No, we don't do that. We discipline for lying. Uh, Research shows that the first lie is told around the ages of two or three years old. Um, That lies comprise 7% of total communication. And it's reported that 60% of people 18 and older are incapable of having a conversation without lying at least one time Every 10 minutes. Let's just, let's just throw the low in. We're going to lowball this right here because this is the lowest end that I could find. Is that the average human tells 1,100 lies every single year. And listen, there's all sorts of reasons. There's all sorts of reasons. And, and some of them seem valid. Some of them seem actually excusable. Like we do it to avoid other people. I don't know if that's excusable or not, but we'll do it just to avoid people altogether. I don't want to be around them. I'm going to make up something that I have to do so I don't have to be wherever it is that they're going to be because I would just rather avoid it altogether. 
Some do it out of humor, some do it out of jest, some do it out of being a, a joke. Now, when our self-defenses go up and we have these self-defense mechanisms in our life, when they go up, we will tend to lie in protection of our own self, of our own image. Uh, we'll even do it to impress somebody. We'll lie, we'll exaggerate the truth, or we'll just, you know, flat out tell something that's not at all the truth, and we'll do it so that we can better our self-image, so that we can portray something. If you don't believe me, just get on Facebook and Instagram, okay? If you can see everybody's Snapchats, and praise God, we can't, okay? It's about impressing people. Protect another person. We'll lie to protect somebody, to make sure that they're protected and, and they're secure at all costs. We'll do it to the benefit of someone else. Uh, we'll actually lie to hurt someone. When we're feeling hurt, we'll express lies so that they experience the pain that we're experiencing, but usually we do it to a greater extent so that they feel more pain than that we're experiencing. We'll also do it to avoid embarrassment. Nobody likes to be embarrassed, so guess what? We'll lie, we'll make it up, and we'll avoid everything to make sure that we don't get embarrassed at all. And a lot of people lie because, let's just face it, we don't like accountability. We just don't like to be held accountable. I'll, I'll just excuse my behavior away, or I'll, I'll come up with some way to just bypass all of that. Uh, but we also do it for personal gain or benefit. Now, there was a man born in 1882 in Italy, and here's his name. His name is Carlo Pietro Giovanni Guglielmo Tobaldo. Say that a thousand times and fill that in on a Scantron sheet. Sorry, you, some of you all didn't get to do Scantrons, but I did. And go fill that one out because you had to fill out your whole name. Now, he would move to America in 1903 from Italy, except his reputation became extremely poor really quickly. He had the reputation of a swindler that cost him some time in prison. He would spend time in prison in Canada, and he would spend time in prison in the United States. In 1918, he would move to Boston and begin working for a mining camp. And at this mining camp, he would meet his future wife. And in the summer of 1919, he set up a small office attempting to sell business contacts to Europe to try to make a, a lucrative life for himself and for his family. In this journey, he received a letter from Spain, from a company in Spain that was advertising international reply coupon or known as an IRC. And so what Carlo did is he found a weakness in the system to make money through the system. So in January of 1920, he created a company called the Security Exchange Company. And by June of 1920, just within six months, people had already invested $2.5 million into his adventure. By July of 1920, he was making over a million dollars a day, and this is in 1920. And he's doing it all on IRCs. But what he failed to figure out is the most important thing how to convert IRCs into cash. And when they had changed the system of changing your IRCs into cash to gain a profit, he came to the realization that this was absolutely going to be impossible. 
And at some time, just over a year into his adventure, he was discovered to have been paying old investors with new investors' money in order to keep it going. Carlo Giovanni Guglielmo Tobaldo went by this name, Charles Ponzi, which he's infamously known for this, the Ponzi scheme. The scheme was totally and completely based on a lie for personal gain. But listen, once you're in so deep, it's a trap. See, lying is a slippery slope because once you do it a few times, you've got to start creating more lies to cover the initial lie. He costed investors in that time $20 million in just over a year. And the biggest one known today, which we're probably mostly familiar with, is Bernie Madoff, who costed people $65 billion all on a lie. And listen, lies are everywhere. You can find them anywhere. You can find them at your workplace. You can find them in your home. You can find them at school. If you just open your phone and get on social media, guess what? There are lies on there as well. Believe it or not, if you turn on your television and turn on the news, shocker, there's lies on there. And I know this one's gonna shock you the most. There's lies in the government. I, I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought that people running a country would lie to the people who voted them to run the country? But listen, lies are all over the place. And we've actually gone to great lengths and to great extents to try to prove our own reliability. We want to prove that we are dependable, that our word is true, and that we will follow through with what we said that we were going to do or follow through with the statement that we made or make a statement that is fact. And we would do this through gestures and phrases. The first one being this right here, the pinky promise or the pinky square. The good old pinky. I did some research on the pinky promise and pinky square. Learned a lot about it this week. Didn't realize all that it entailed, but it's the locking of two pinkies of two people to signify a promise has been made or that I am good on my word. Now here's the catch, and we didn't know this. If your pinky, if you've made a pinky promise and your pinky is straight, then this didn't happen to you because the gesture is taken that the person who broke the promise gets their pinky broken by the person who was the promise was intended for. So they get to break it up the one who broke the promise. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea it was that serious. Japan takes it to a whole new level. Here's what they say. Pinky swear, whoever lies will be made to swallow a thousand needles. Listen, they don't make a pill for that. Ne Nexium doesn't work for the needles, okay? It doesn't happen. The Isle of Man would say this, make friends, make friends, never Break friends. If you do, you'll catch the flu, and that will be the end of you. Whoa. These people take it serious, and rightfully so, because our word should be serious. And we've all done this right here. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. If I tell a lie, I surely don't ever want to die. I'll keep my word. And that's out of a poem originating in 1908. And what we would do with this one is we would cross our heart and hope to die and we would point up 
to the sky and it's added after a promise. It's added after a statement of how serious we actually are about what we just said. That we want our word to be sure, that we want it to be true, that we want our word to be reliable, that our word is like solid as an oak. Because you know, the old phrase says, you're only as good as your word. We wanna know that we're reliable, that intentions are good, and we're gonna follow through. We're dependable, and I'm not gonna let you down. So we'll say things like, I swear, and I promise, after statements that we want to be taken serious. And here's what Hannah Arendt said. She said this, promises are the uniquely human way of ordering the future, making it predictable and reliable to the extent that is humanly possible. That we make promises in the present to try to make the future predictable, to try to make the future reliable. That if I say I'm gonna do something today, then I will fulfill it down the road in the future sometime tomorrow. But how reliable and how predictable really is the future? We want it to be and we desire it to be. We want people to believe that our word is good and we want other people to trust our word and we want to trust the word of others and that it's good. And we should and we want to give the benefit of the doubt to the other party. But listen, if we're honest this morning, we've all been on the receiving end of a failed word or a broken promise. And equally so, we've all been on the giving end of a failed word or a broken promise. It's said that interpersonal confidence among people has faded, that it's, it's gone away. That this idea of confidence in interpersonal relationships, it's going south. 71% of people believe that interpersonal confidence has faded over or worsened over the last 20 years. Lies seem all too common. People don't seem good on their word or they just don't follow through. And I think it's to the point of thinking this, well, what or who can I trust? If we were really honest and we got honest with each other this morning, um, we would all have trust issues in some capacity. Some maybe more than others. Because the best of humanity at their best are still human. They're fallible. They're imperfect, desiring to act on good intentions, but have the ability to go back on their word and not follow through. And when we go back on a word and we don't follow through, we leave the other people or person on the other side disappointed, hurt, broken. And honestly, we begin to build up walls that are hard to break through. And if people can leave us disappointed by going back on their word, by not following through, by not staying true to their promise, what about the God who created them? I think that's a valid question. Can we trust God? Can we trust God to keep his word? Can we trust God to do what he promised to do? Is God who 
he says he is and will he do what he said he will do? Because people, they, they waffle, or we're fickle in a lot of ways. And we'll qualify our yeses with our noes. And it's hard to know where other people stand a lot of times. But I would say this, that's not the case with God. And we read a few of these scriptures last week. We're gonna highlight them again this week, but some of it's a little bit of a repeat, but we're highlighting a different portion of the scripture. And this is what it says in Numbers. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He's not a man that he should lie. It's not just that he will not lie or he chooses not to lie, that he should not lie. It's not that he will not lie because he chooses not to lie, that God has some type of option and he sits up there and he goes, okay, lying's not the best option, so I'm gonna choose the best option. That's not the case with God. It's this right here, God cannot lie. It's an impossibility. It's not in his character. It's not in his nature and it actually goes against everything that he is. Because if God could lie, then who in the world could we ever even trust? Where would trust be found? Where could trust be discovered? He's not like us. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't act like us. He doesn't waffle or fickle like we do. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel. He who is the what? Glory of Israel. That's God is the glory of Israel. He does not lie or change his mind for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Meaning this, God doesn't go back on his word. God doesn't make promises and leave them empty and unfulfilled. God doesn't embellish or distort the truth. He doesn't think one way and just go the opposite. He doesn't say, I'm gonna do this and then do a complete other thing. God is not wish-washy. And the author of Hebrews would begin to just really open this idea up when he says this, men swear by someone greater than themselves. That's what we do. Think about it. When we would say, I swear, we would say, we would say things like this. I swear to God, it's true. We're swearing on something that is greater than us. Or I swear on my life that I'll do this or I promise this. And we swear by something greater than we are. And the oath that's made confirms what is said and it should, doesn't always, it should put an end to all the argument. It should be over. That's why Jesus said, let your yes be yes and let your no be yo. No, it should be over. But then we're gonna bring this into God. That's what the author is gonna do because it says, because God wanted to make, listen to this, the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. He wanted to make sure that his purpose that is unchanging was not muddy, not foggy, not cloudy, but extremely clear so that we could understand it. And he makes it clear to what? The heirs of what was promised. This is the oath that is taking place back in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham and God. And God is saying, I am putting my oath down 
for the heirs of the promise. Who's the heirs of the promise? Everybody after Abraham. That there would be generations upon generations upon generations to come from Abraham. And through that, there would be a Messiah. His name would be Jesus Christ. And so who's the heirs of the promise? We are. We are the heirs of what was promised. And he confirmed it with an oath. And then he's gonna give us some purpose. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, there's the unchanging purpose and nature of God, things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And he's gonna highlight this hope. We, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. That our souls can firmly drop an anchor because it's Jesus who entered the place that we could not enter. The inner sanctuary, that's out of the tabernacle and the temple. That's the Holy of Holies, the place where God's glory resided. And Jesus said, oh, nope, not anymore. Only one could go. Now all can go because of me. And the anchor, it was carried to that safe place. Meaning this, that our hope like an anchor, it's sure and we can have confidence that we don't have to question where it is that God stands on things. And he gives us his qualified, unconditional yes. And when God says yes, God never takes it back. He never takes it back. And Jesus Christ would come and he would be the fulfillment of the very promises that God made throughout all of scripture that are also for us today. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this, but surely as God is faithful, and he is, our message to you is not yes and no. The Corinthians were, were um, calling out Paul saying, you all are waffling, you're fickle. You're telling us yes, then you're telling us no, then you're telling us yes and no. He says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no. But in him, but in him has always been yes. And this is the good news. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, let it be or so be it, or let it be done is spoken by us to the glory of God. So God puts his yes on the table when he sent Jesus Christ. He put his yes for the promises all on the table. And it doesn't matter how many promises that there are. And some say there are over 3,000 promises that we read from cover to cover in the Bible. And I don't know where you are this morning. I have no idea what it is that you brought in here this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I can guarantee you this. Some of you all are struggling. You're having a hard time. Life's beating you up. The circumstances aren't favorable. If you could pick a season of life to pass, you would raise your hand and say, God, can I pass go and collect $200 and just get out of this? Because I would much rather not be here. I don't really know exactly what you need right now in the moment, but it may just be that you need some good news and some encouragement. 
So here's the ask. As we just land this plane on God's promises, I couldn't do all 3,000. There was no way. Time didn't allow. But I picked some because I prayed through some. And I prayed over you. And I said, God, what are the promises that we need to hear this morning? What is it that you want to speak to us? So here's the ask. Spend time in reflection this morning. Maybe you're going to find a promise to hang your hat on. Maybe you're going to find a promise that you need to claim, amen, let it be done, so be it God in my life. Because you said yes in Christ, and now I'm proclaiming amen in this season of life. Maybe you need to just simply invite God to whatever it is you're going through or wherever it is you are right now. But here's one of the first promises. God promises abundant life. He promises abundant life. He says the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy, and that may be your life right now. Your life is marked and defined by just utter chaos, mess. It's a wreck. It, was, it, it looked like it was going really well until the train derailed. And now it's a complete mess and you're not really sure how to put it back all together and get back on the track. But Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life and not just life. Not just any life. I'll just go have life. No, he didn't say that. He wants us to have it to the full. He wants us to have abundant life. He wants our, our, our lives to live in abundance here on earth, better than maybe the story that we've written up to this point because God always writes a better story. And that may be you. Your life isn't where you thought it would be. It's not the life you picked. You may be there because of some choices and you may be there for some uncontrollable circumstances, but here's the fact of the matter. God still promises that you can have abundant life. How about this one? God promises forgiveness. Oh. Can I tell you something this morning? You've never done anything too bad that you're out of the reach of God. I don't care what you've done and I don't care where you've been. God is faithful and he promises to forgive because 1 John says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. Do you notice he's not naming them? Do you know he's not saying, if you confess these certain sins, I'll forgive them. And listen, I'm not gonna forgive these over here. No, he says, I'm gonna wipe it all clean and I'm gonna purify. I'm gonna purify from all the unrighteousness. God will forgive you if you call on him. And it may be the lack of forgiveness and the lack of experiencing that, that is keeping you from the abundant life that God has for you. I love this one too. God promises to be with you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's never a time he's not with us. We may stray, but he's right there. We may drift, but he hasn't gone anywhere. And maybe you need to be reminded this morning that God promises to be with you through everything. How about this one? God promises to strengthen you. You may feel weak this morning. You may feel broken and beat up. And you don't know if you have the strength even to make it through the rest of the day. You're not sure about one more step. You really want to just throw in the towel. But Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. 
that he would strengthen you. He's going to give you the strength you need for today. It's not the strength you need for tomorrow, but when you wake up, his mercies are new, and he'll give you the very strength you need for tomorrow as well. He promises that. He also promises to help you. He's not going to leave you to try to figure it out on your own, to sit out there and wonder and figure out, okay, what in the world am I doing? Do I go right? Do I go left? Do I make my first right on my left? Like, how does that look? And I'm just completely confused. No, he says he will help you. So do not fear for I am with you. We just talked about that. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, what we just said, and help you. I will uphold you. When you feel like everything is falling apart, when you're not sure that you can keep your own life together, guess what God's doing? He's upholding you by his righteous right hand. Some of you all are just flat out exhausted. You've burnt the candle at both ends. You're not sure. Maybe you just come to church because it's the only time you feel like I can slow down. Here's what God promises. God promises to give you rest in him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of us just need to rest in the presence of Jesus. Some of us just need to be stilled. Stop striving, stop pushing the limits, stop going beyond the limits, stop trying to see how far you can go until you just run out of gas. Sometimes we need the green pastures and the still waters because life is hard enough. God promises to take care of all your needs, not your wants, your needs. And my God will meet all your needs according to what? His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God also promises to answer your prayers. May not be how you want them answered, and it may not be in your time or how you planned, but he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And then here is a great promise that some of us need to hear, is that God promises that nothing will separate you from him. It doesn't matter what you do or where you are or what you're going through right now. He says, listen, no angels or demon, no death, nor life, no powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you don't want to know some of the best news of all are the last two promises. God promises to finish the work he started in you. Can I tell you something? The Lord's not giving up on you, so why are you giving up on you? You still have a plan and you still have a purpose. You've not arrived, you've not fulfilled all the way to the end. And you may feel like, I, I just don't belong. I don't know that I have a purpose. Well, I promise that you that you do. Because Paul tells us, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion. onto the completion. I know I'm not completed. And I'm not throwing in the towel. 
even though there are times I want to throw in the towel. Let me challenge you, don't throw the towel in either because God's not done with you. You still have purpose and it's gonna be until the day of Christ Jesus. When you bring the Hebrew six passages and the second Corinthians one passage together about it's impossible for God to lie and for however many promises in God, they're yes in Jesus Christ. Here's what John Piper says. The reason God's covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David ought to increase the joy of our faith is that in all of them, the main point is that God exerts. He puts everything out there. What of his everything does he put out there? His omnipotence, the fact that he's all powerful and his omniscience, the fact that he's all-knowing. And why is he exerting it all? To do good to his people. And we are that people if we follow Christ in the obedience of faith. The most practical truths any Christian can know are that God is all-powerful, all-wise, and listen to this, all for you. All for you. Nothing will have a more important practical impact on the way you use your money, spend your leisure, pursue your vocation, rear your children, deal with conflict, or handle anxiety. Because it is, listen to this, a heartfelt confidence that the sovereign God is working everything together for your good out of sheer grace. It affects every area of your life that he's working everything together for your good. I came to work here on Friday morning. Friday mornings are a great time to work here at the creek. The only noise you have are the creaks and cracks of what's going on in the building and outside. It's dead silent. I have all the lights off except what's in my office. And I'm just sitting writing this message and just processing this message of what it looks like. And there's this little thing called time hop on your phone. And time hop is this thing where you can reflect back on everything that happened years before on that specific date. And so for a brain break, I just popped that open real quick and I started flipping through pictures. And then all of a sudden a flood of emotion came over me, like serious emotion. I was sad, tears welled up in my eyes. I was emotional, I was frustrated. I was mad as mad could be. If I could have punched a wall, I would have, but I wasn't gonna do that. And yet at the same time, I found joy and peace all in that same moment of things. Because this is the picture that came up. It didn't come up, but it's supposed to come up. And that's unfortunate. But let me tell you what the picture is. It happened 14 years ago. And it's my son, Liam, at three years old and probably four months. And it's of a little girl in a car seat that my wife and I were attempting to adopt. When we went to go pick her up from the hospital, we got a call about 10 minutes from the hospital that said the mother had changed her mind. Just imagine turning that around. The drive home from Bowling Green to Owensboro was extremely quiet and silent. I didn't want anybody to say anything to me. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I didn't want, there she is. This is Lindley right here. And that's Liam. And I was mad. 
It wouldn't be but about five days later that we get a call from our social worker and she says, listen, mom's changed her mind. Um, I've got her here at the office, but I need you to make a decision. I need you to make a decision within the next hour. Do you want her to go to foster care until it's complete or do you want to bring her into your home until the adoption's complete? And I wrestled with so many things and we just decided to bring her in our home. That's what we felt like the Lord was leading us to do. And we were just battling this. It was really, really hard and really, really challenging. In the meantime, she was writing up the termination papers for the state of Kentucky. And so she had a meeting with mom scheduled and guess what? Mom said she'd be there and she didn't show up. Then she said, mom wanted to meet you all. And so we did and we met her and we talked and we had conversations. And then the next week or or after that meeting, she said, I'm going to talk to her about signing these termination rights. So we left and she called and she said, listen, she didn't sign the termination rights. She said that she would do it soon. And we were waiting and waiting patiently and going and going and going. And it came to the end about, we're about 14 years to the exact date. It was 4.30 central time. And our social worker had called and said, listen, mom's changed her mind. She wants the baby. And listen, I can tell you that the grief gets better and that would be a lie this morning. The only thing you do over time is you learn how to manage the grief. You learn how to figure this out. But I'm sitting there processing this, what my life would be like to have a daughter, because I don't have one, but I do have one, but I don't have one. It's kind of a weird situation. You had a child that didn't die, but in a way died in your life, but is still very much physically alive that as far as we know. And the social worker came and Brittany and I are numb as numb can be. Broken, I can't even muster up a tear to cry. I wanted to scream. I had to take my anger out somewhere. I was so mad. Why, God? I loved you. I would have done anything for you. I told you, God, in 98, I put my yes on the table. I said yes to you, however, whenever, whatever. And this is what I have to go through? Are you kidding me? Why would you do this? And I'm struggling with God in this moment. This was probably... On top of a few other things, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I just wanted to cry out. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to see people. I wanted people to leave me alone. My mom would try to call, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Let me process for just a little bit. And we did. We processed. Brittany and I couldn't figure out what to do. We didn't know the next step. So what we did is we had free plane tickets. And on November 10th of that year of 2009, we boarded a plane to get out of way. I just wanted to be out of Owensboro. I didn't care where it was. Listen, you could send me to the depths of the pit of Sheol and I would have gone there over Owensboro at this moment. So we did, we hopped on a plane and our social worker had sent a blog of a family that was adopting or their adoption process. And they just said, listen, she said, her name was Jeannie. And she said, listen, I just want you to read this article, please. Or this blog, can you just do this when you get time? And we got this on the way to the airport on November the 10th. 
Brittany goes, I don't even know if I want to read it. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm just, uh, she is feeling everything I'm feeling and to the umph degree beyond that, just weren't sure. And she does open it up and she goes, Will, oh my gosh, we got to read this together. So we started reading the blog together. And I'm just wondering what in the world, God, are you doing? What's your plan? Like, you put a, a, a desire in our heart to adopt. You had a, we had a passion to be a multicultural family. God, what in the world are you doing? Because this just doesn't seem right. It seems so wrong in so many ways. So we read the article. We made the decision that we would, in that moment, adopt from Ethiopia. And here's what we didn't know. That on November 15th, five days later, 2009, Tawa Daj would be born who I know as Titus Owen Zick. And God said, see, see, we're gonna plan that you don't know about. And it's greater than anything you could ever imagine. It took some hurt to get there, but God's refining in me still yet today and pruning on my heart. But here's what I do know is that God promises to work everything out for your good. Even when we don't get it, you know, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And can I tell you something just to wrap it up this morning? It may not be, it may not be how you think, how you plan or in your timing, but with God who it's impossible to lie, you can trust that it's best. Can I tell you something? God is faithful even when we aren't. He doesn't hold back even when I do. When I question, he doesn't condemn or chastise, but is extremely patient and long-suffering. And when I ask why, he answers for a greater purpose that you can't see yet. Because I'm doing something you can't even imagine. And it's through Jesus Christ that we can say yes, and we can say amen. Father God, I am so beyond thankful that you are God and I am not. Because God, it is so easy for me to make a wreck of my own life. And God, it's enough of a battle. And God, when it's hard to trust or when it's hard to follow through or when it's hard to be sure if people are gonna keep their word, God, you promise us that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful and that you will keep your word. And so God, we can proclaim that because your promises are yes in Jesus Christ. And we can say amen to those promises, whatever season in which we find ourselves. So God, right now, as we spend some time reflecting, as we spend some time just praying, maybe we spend time praising. God, it is so sweet to trust in you and simply take you at your word. So God, as we prepare for just this moment of reflection, I pray that you would move however it is that you want to move. In Christ's name I pray, amen.